Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Mike DeWitt. Mike just finished his 21st year as the head basketball coach at Ohio Wesleyan University in Delaware, Ohio. Um, and he's got a, a tremendous journey through coaching, real struggles early at two different stops as a head coach and a 5-20 and 20 record to start his career at Ohio Wesleyan. Uh, 21 years later, he sits one win shy of 400 and has built his program to a, a perennial competitor for the championship in the North Coast Athletic Conference. Please enjoy my visit today with Coach Mike DeWitt of Ohio Wesleyan University. Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. Honored today to have as my guest, Mike DeWitt. Mike is the head men's basketball coach at Ohio Wesleyan University Division Three school in Ohio. And uh, as you heard me say on the podcast, if you listen regularly, I, I think there is power in people's stories. And for a number of different reasons, uh, Coach DeWitt's story is one that I think can be powerful to aspiring coaches, to experienced coaches, uh, maybe even to parents of, of players. Uh, because if nothing else, at least when I read through uh, Coach DeWitt's story, it's it's a, at least one thing is true. It's a testament to persistence and and, and uh, stay in the course uh, in your journey and 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 what can happen when that happens. So I, I'm I'm honored to have Coach DeWitt on. Mike, how you doing today? Great, John. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm pleased to be here. Well, I, I hope it'll be a good time, and it's it really just mostly is about telling your story. And uh, you're you're a Northwest Ohio native, like like I am, like a lot of our listeners are. Though I think I think there are more people outside the area starting to listen. And you know, growing up in in I think you're a Galleon native. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yep. So you you grew up in 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 right in the heart of Northwest Ohio, high school player, uh, go to school at Wesley, and talk a little bit about your experience growing up uh, as a young athlete, maybe uh, particularly as a student athlete playing uh, the sport of basketball and, and whatever else you may have done. But what I really want you to get into is the the people or the person during your high school experience that maybe pointed you toward a career in coaching. Sure. Uh, as you said, I grew up in Galleon, um, played for a great high school coach named Jim Kirk, um, who, you know, was a real uh, example for me uh, and really encouraging for me uh, during my high school career. I had one of those careers where, you know, as a sophomore, I was the 20th person on a 20-man varsity in JV team. I was 5'4", 100 pounds, uh, and that's an exaggeration. As Coach Kirk used to say, 100 pounds with, with socks on and rocks in my pocket. Um, and But he kept encouraging me, even though the future didn't look bright for my basketball career. And, you know, all of a sudden, between my sophomore and junior year in high school, I grew from 5'4 to 5'11, which gave me a fighting chance. Um, and played a, a little bit of varsity basketball my junior year, not a lot, uh, but had a good ending to my to my junior year as our team did. We won the sectional championship my junior year, beating Lexington High School, who's number four in the country, four in the state. I'm sorry, um, and and went on to play in the district uh, against the, a Finley High School team led by Al Thomas. I'm sure that's a name a lot of your listeners might know, um, but. Uh, really, you know, was encouraging to me to, to kind of stay with it, keep things going. And by the time I became a senior, um, 
I, I ended up being first team all league, first team all district, uh, just, just through playing every day on the playground at the community center, uh, going and finding open, open gyms at the time, uh, Buckeye Central High School had a great program, um, coached by Dick Heath. And I got to know a lot of their guys and I go to their open gyms, go to Galleon's open gyms. Obviously we'd go to Mansfield to play, uh, just be, just really fell in love with the game at that point. But if it wasn't for coach Kirk, who encouraged me through the tough times during my, Freshman and sophomore years, I probably, uh, most not probably, most certainly would not have had uh, an opportunity to have any success uh, in the game of basketball. So, um, you know, yeah, so my high school career ended up on a personal level really, really well and encouraged me to, to go forward and play college. When, when you headed off to college at Wesleyan, did you did you know going away to college that, that coaching might be the career you chose to follow, or did you did you have a clear idea at that time? Uh, had no idea at all. Um, and then and, uh, I actually went to Wittenberg first, um, which not not a lot of people know, uh, although many maybe too many people know. But I I was recruited by a lot of the Division three schools in the state of Ohio, and that honestly went to Wittenberg initially uh, because uh, they were winning uh, at, a, at a ridiculously high level um, and played for a coach there named Larry Hunter uh, who went on to have a lot of success at Ohio University in Western Carolina after after Wittenberg. Uh, freshman year at Wittenberg, I was one of two freshmen on the varsity team that finished Division Three national runners up. Um, great experience. Uh, but then my my playing career kind of hit a little bit of a snag. My sophomore year, I did not play as much uh, and got cut at the beginning of my junior year down at Whitburg. Um, and uh, after that, uh, you know, a lot of soul searching. Should I continue my basketball career? Should I finish up schooling at Wittenberg? I decided to transfer and transfer uh, here to Ohio Westland to finish up my last two years. Um, so I learned a lot and then it's going through those situations. Uh, but started at that point to work a lot of basketball camps uh, at Ohio Northern um, at, at um you know, worked at Wittenberg's basketball camp and really got kind of, a, you know, figuring out a way like I can actually make money and still play basketball. Not a lot of money, obviously, but uh, still play and coach basketball. And I think that's probably where my uh, desire to at least pursue coaching at some point, uh, you know, started. Can you talk a little bit about the, the coach that you played for at Wesleyan and what that experience was like at coming in as a transfer? Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, it, it, you know, transferring in here, Wesleyan had a good program, not a great program at the time, but I came in uh, and into the midst of a group that would win the national championship in 1988, the year after I graduated in 87. Uh, so it was a program that was kind of building toward uh, a really special year in 1988. Um, and it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was like being a freshman all over again. Uh, I think that's really helped me as a coach, uh, you know, given a little bit of a, you know, having a variety of backgrounds going in as a freshman to Wittenberg and doing really well and then transferring and understanding the, the issues that transfers have and maybe sometimes the stigma they have, which isn't always necessarily a positive one. Uh, but that's helped me as a coach uh, here later in my life kind of, 
uh, not be so closed-minded to transfers, whether they're transferring out of Ohio Westland or transferring in. Uh, but we had some success here at Ohio Westland. Uh, it was just at the start of the North Coast Athletic Conference. We won a regular season championship my senior year, tournament championship, junior year. Then um, and, and I ended up being honorable mention all-conference both those seasons uh, after uh, getting cut at Wittenberg, beginning my junior year, moving on to another college and, and having having some success uh, individually. So uh, Coach Mahaffey, Gene Mahaffey, was the coach at Honor Wesleyan at the time, actually who I took over for uh, when I got the job here in 1999. Uh, again, was very... Uh, they welcomed me with open arms, uh, let me work my way into the program, uh, let me do it quickly, and gave me an opportunity to have uh, two two pretty solid years of, of uh, a career here at Ohio Wesleyan. Can you identify specifically at this? I mean, looking back now, that far back, is there any way that you could identify anything specific about your experience under Larry Hunter or your experience under Coach Mahaffey that? contributed to your philosophy as a coach? Uh, definitely. You're asking me to go pretty far back now because I'm getting pretty old. But I think um, both both men were very different. Um, but the one thing that they shared was, uh, I guess, a couple things that they shared. One was an incredible work ethic. Um, and the second thing was valuing execution over anything else. Uh, when I was at Wittenberg, our offense consisted of a three out, two in motion offense with two or three sets, and that was it. Uh, Coach Mahaffey at Ohio Westland ran, a, ran a, a version of the wheel offense, uh, which any, you know, some, some of the people listening might have an understanding of that, with a lot of different options and a lot of different reads, but it was still all about execution. It was about doing things the right way, and if we didn't do things the right way, we did it over. Uh, and I think that's something that has always stuck with me, that instead of trying to do a million different things, uh, do things that you do do well and then work at those things. And even if the other team knows it's coming, whether it's offensively or defensively, you're going to out execute them and uh, just be better because you practiced it better. Well, it's interesting as you're saying that because you're you're referring to a time period really when, and I think of Coach Mahaffey, but I also think of Jim Burson. I think of Gail Doherty, Gail Doherty at Ohio Northern. I mean, the, the crux of playing in those types of games against those programs was you pretty much knew what was coming and you were going to have to be really, really, really damn tough to keep it from working. <laughs> and and you were going to have to be really tough to make it work because I think everybody was really prepared to play. And, and I think that that's, that's a different era of coaching, but I, I what you said resonated with me is that uh, that's, that's cross generational and it, and it transcends the sport and it's in and of itself is the importance of attention to detail and execution uh, really doesn't ever change the importance of it, no matter what your, what your specific X's and O's might be. That's exactly right. And then, you know, being like I, I've learned from guys like Coach Doherty and Coach Person as well, like those guys were like great examples to players and young coaches during that era for <clears throat> just with regard to how, how to do things the right way. Uh, and if there's, you know, one thing I've tried to do here at Ohio Westland and even before that, just do things the right way. Well, and, and uh, you know what, one of these days I'm going to get up the nerve to, to have a panel of coaches on and, and just talk about that phrase, because I think it's gained so much 
uh, traction over the years. And Larry Brown was the guy that stands out to me when he coached the Pistons, who constantly said, we just want to play the right way. And, and yeah. a, lot, a lot of people use that phrase now, but I'm not sure as many understand it uh, as, they, as use it. And uh, that's a whole nother, nother topic for me. But when you get to the end of that, that senior year at Wesleyan, talk about kind of your mindset. What, what did you see in front of you? What were you hoping to do? What, did you have a, a kind of a, a set of goals to get started on right away or, or just go find a way to feed yourself? Yeah, it was basically, you know, I, I was an accounting major. Um, I was going to try to get something in that field um, and try to make some money. Uh, I really, even though I love basketball and I, I knew I would like the coaching, I, I, for whatever reason, wasn't quite ready to do that yet because I felt like I went to school for four years. I wanted to get, you know, put my degree to good use. Um so I actually got a job after I graduated at a waste management, waste removal company, I guess, in Finley, Ohio, uh, and worked there for 18 months. And, and it was a company that basically worked on hazardous waste sites around the country. Uh, and I was the person who kind of organized everything and, um, you know, was kind of the, the business person on site while other people would get in the hazmat suits and go clean out the hazardous waste. Um and it was it, while it was interesting. I figured out after about eighteen months that wasn't going to be what I wanted to do with my life, uh, and had started missing the competition and the the interaction of coaching. Uh, so I, I decided to to quit that job and, and come back to the Columbus area. Uh, became a volunteer on Coach Mahaffey's staff while at the same time uh, working a couple different jobs and getting my master's degree at Ohio State in sports management. Uh, so that's where I started uh, with with the coaching aspect of it. Knew at the time I did not want to attempt the high school level um, just because the, you hear the nightmare stories of dealing with parents and those things and then i just decided i knew the level i wanted to coach at was division three um if other opportunities presented themselves i would certainly look at those but one of the best pieces of advice i got was actually from larry hunter who still remained a mentor to me after i left wittenberg was you know you want to start at the level or you get to the level you want to be at as quickly as you can and so i, I knew this, this was where I wanted to start, and Coach Mahaffey was gracious enough to give me a, a spot on his staff and not pay me anything. <laughs> that That is a, a position I can relate to. I've been willing to do that yeah. for about three or four different head coaches, and uh, it, it, it always pays off. There's just never a real bottom line that proves it. Um, right. I, I think that's the way I've always felt about it. So when when you went back to, to help Coach Mahaffey, was that about 89-90, that, that, that era? I was at Westland for three years as a volunteer from 89 to 92. Okay. Okay. And, and then when you're in a volunteer position, getting a master's degree, that's, that that's, it, it's a de facto graduate assistant position. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting in time as a coach, you're getting your master's, but it's not the traditional route that a lot of guys followed into college. Uh, talk about trying to get your first full-time opportunity and how that came about for you. Yeah, so, you know, working at Ohio uh, Wrestling, obviously, for those three years, you, you make contacts, you see how other programs are doing things, and, and probably more importantly, they get to see you as well. Um, and I think there was enough respect for the Ohio Wrestling program that when the full-time assistant job at Kenyon opened up in 1993, I 
got to be a candidate and I went ahead and applied and I'm sure with the help of Coach Mahaffey uh, putting in a good word for me, I was hired at Kenyon uh, for a gentleman named Bill Brown. Uh, and this was the Bill Brown who was after the Bill Brown that was at Wittenberg. Bill Brown that I worked for went on from Kenyon to be the head coach at California University of Pennsylvania. And I think is currently on the, on the staff at, at Duquesne. Um, but he gave me an opportunity to be a full-time assistant, a full-time assistant making $12,000 a year and also being the head men's golf coach at Kenyon. Uh, so again, not making a lot of money, but I thought it was great. I was getting paid to coach finally uh, after five years after graduating from Ohio Wesleyan. And in an interesting place, honestly, at Kenyon, a couple of things that, that stand out. First of all, there's the Division three model and then there's the Kenyon model. There, there's, yes. there, is, yes. there is a difference. And, I, and I'm a died in the wool staunch believer to my grave in the division three model and absolutely love it. Um, but I look at the situation at Kenyon and, and a couple of things I, I admire anybody that commits to that proposition because it's not easy, but I'm also blown away because you guys had a remarkably high level of success. Yeah. Again, I walked into a great situation. Um, Coach Brown was, if he was good at one thing, he was good at a lot of things, but the thing he was best at was recruiting. Uh, he just had a way of uh, relating the parents, relating the kids um, uh, in a way, and a very different mindset in terms of practices and, and, uh, and commitment's not the right word, but just intensity level, I guess, than, than what I was used to. Uh, but again, it's just an effective way of getting things done. We ran more things at Kenyon. We mixed things up defensively. Uh, but we had really good players at the time. And then uh, my first year there, I, I can't remember exactly. I know we made it to the conference tournament finals and lost. And then my second year there, we were 24 and four, uh, won the conference championship, beating an undefeated Wittenberg team in the, in the championship finals, and then making the NCAA tournament where we got upset in the first round. But, uh, you know, just a great experience. But when I first got there, um, in 1993, first couple games, you know, there were nobody in the stands. And then by the end of my second year there, which is how long I was there, uh, stands were packed watching us play. Um, so it just, it was kind of a cool, just really cool to be a part of that and seeing it, you know, coaching a bunch of really smart guys, um, and seeing them have some success on the basketball floor and being able to compete with the Wittenbergs and, and Worcesters of this world at the time was, was a really cool experience. Well, it's probably bad prep work on my part because I think it was right after you left uh, Kenyon, but I can't remember. I just remember that Bill Brown brought a Kenyan team into Ohio Northern for an NCAA tournament game one night in the mid-90s and absolutely put an ass whipping on the polar bears on their home floor that was a sight to behold. Uh, yeah, I think that was, the, that was the year after I left. I, uh, I thought so, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. And uh, that, that team was fun to watch. And I, again, I'm not belittling anybody's account. I'm just saying when I look at what Kenyon, what Danny has to do now uh, to compete, yeah. you know, you, when you realize how high a level that was at, that's a tremendous accomplishment and, and not one that's going to be easy to duplicate at a place like Kenyon. Uh, but off of that success, I'm going to assume in part having that kind of success maybe moves you toward the head coaching opportunities a little faster than maybe it otherwise would. And, and you were ready after a couple of years at Kenyon to pursue a head coaching opportunity. 
Yeah, I think without a doubt, our, you know, if, I, I, I would think if I'm an athletic director looking at the success we had at Kenyon, that if the assistant coach applied at my place, knowing the type of school Kenyon is, that I would, uh, that person would, would at least be worth looking at uh, closely. Uh, and I was fortunate enough uh, to get the job at Hiram College. And I, I know for sure I wasn't their first or second choice. Um and it was the first job I'd ever applied for as a, to be a head coach. So it was kind of, kind of overwhelming to go through the process. Um, thought it went well. Um, coach Brown was great. The athletic director at the time at Kenyon was great. Um, then all of a sudden I get a call that they're offering me the job. And I, I had no idea what to do. I mean, honestly, I knew, I knew enough to know I wasn't ready. Um, <laughs> but, both of those men convinced me, you know, these opportunities don't come along all the time. And so I accepted the job, uh, knowing full well I had a lot to learn, and then I did. Um, but it was, again, the, the success we had at Kenyon obviously led to, to me being hired at Hiram. And when you when you consider the, the stops that you had made, the places you had played, the, the overall experiences that you had once you started thinking about coaching as a as a future. Uh, Talk about developing your own plans for a, a style of play or a, a quote-unquote system, if you will, for your first head coaching job. Yeah, well, I think where I was fortunate was in, in my playing career, playing for two different coaches, and then in my coaching career, playing for two different coaches and seeing it from that angle. That I had, at least for my age, a variety of options I guess to choose from and how I wanted to play and how I wanted to formulate my own system offensively and defensively and those kind of things um, but knowing again that one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever gotten was just to be yourself like I wasn't going to try to be Larry Hunter I wasn't going to try to be Gene Mahaffey I wasn't going to try to be Bill Brown I just needed to be myself and, and be comfortable in my own skin and coach in a way that kids could see that I was genuine about what we were doing and I, I knew that going I had to be like that going in and then I think you know if you need to develop a, set, a philosophy a set of core values that you want your program to be about uh, you know I had thought about those kind of things and it was kind of exciting to be able to put that into action um, and then and to see if it worked I think you know you can the X's and O's part I think can take care of itself but teaching things like execution and work ethic and then doing things the right way as, as we, we talked about previously uh, we were going to at least my, I wanted my basketball program to have a foundation of those type of things and I always ask coaches this question that join the podcast when you go into that first head coaching job and division three is a different animal than maybe maybe even any other place that you have the chance to do this but talk about trying to to settle on or, or, or develop a coaching staff in that first opportunity. Yeah, that was, uh, well, we could, yeah, if you get that opportunity. I, I, when I, my first year there, uh, I was given the assistant baseball coach as my assistant. Um, and luckily, it was a gentleman named Pat Knox who was, um, he was a great, um, he was a baseball guy, but he, he had went to Whitburg. He, 
he knew, you know, he knew basketball. He worked really, really hard. Uh, so my staff was kind of given to me my first year. And again, me not knowing any better going into my first head coaching job, I thought it was pretty cool that I had a full-time assistant anyway. So I, I, I didn't get to select who I had, but I was fortunate enough to have someone who was really loyal uh, and who, who knew the game and who was willing to learn from me who didn't know all that of a lot either. So uh, we were kind of going through that together. And then my second year, uh, I was able to hire a, a guy named P.J. Burdamus who had played at Wittenberg uh, and then went on to coach uh, high school at Cedarville High School and Southeastern High School down next to Springfield for a long time. Uh, but hired him my second year to get more of a basketball person in that position. Uh, but, you know, knowing getting P.J. was simply being around him from working camps, you know, uh, after I graduated and, and doing the camp circuit that we've all worked when we were younger, uh, just knowing him and knowing he would be a good fit with me at Hiram. I didn't know that P.J. worked for you, and, and I didn't know P.J. personally. I met him on the camp circuit, too, and and uh, and watched him play a little bit. And he's actually got a son that's turned into a pretty nice player and, and had a, a solid career at Wit. Yep. Um, yeah, really frustrating to have a former assistant coach's son uh, win, make game-winning shots against you, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I had the good fortune, if you will, I put that in quotes, of being on the sideline when we, we had to go play in their holiday tournament. And I thought we game-planned for him really well, did a great job, and the one thing we didn't count on was him, him going for about 27 and, and making every yep. shot that he took. And he just he was a gamer, and, and that, that, I guess that's, yep. what, that's what made him so damn good this year was just the fact that they they had about four options that were all really, really good options. Yep. So um, in, in the five minutes or so we've got before we take a break, talk about then uh, what precipitated your, your, your decision to leave Hiram and, and head to Center College in Kentucky. Sure. So my second year at Hiram, we actually played a tournament down at Center College. Um, and in the first round, we beat Center by about 20. Uh, and in the second round, we actually played John Carroll in the second round and, and beat them when they were ranked. Um, and after we win this tournament, the athletic director at Center approached me and very politely just said, hey, look, our, our coach is retiring at the end of the year. Uh, from what I've seen this weekend, you're, you're developing a great program in Ireland, but we'd love it if you were interested in the position here at Center. Uh, and I didn't think anything of it at the time, but it was very nice of him to say and nice of him to think of me, but I wasn't thinking about moving. But as the year went on and you look at, you know, you look at the different opportunities at Division Three. the difference between Center and Hiram uh, was pretty significant just in terms of resources, um, in terms of, um, you know, academically, Center is one of the best. Uh, you know, a really high, it's the best academic school in the state of Kentucky. Like they really pride themselves on that. And I felt it was a chance to go into a program that maybe had established some success. I think they've been to a couple of final fours and in, in, in the eighties. Um, and Hiram is a tough situation. Like let's be very honest. Um, they've, they've had some really good coaches since I was there and, and, and so on. And, and I know Taylor's going to do a great job there too, but it's just a hard situation. And, and at the time, Hiram was in the OAC going against Ohio Northern, John Carroll, uh, Baldwin Wallace, Mount Union, all those schools. And so just felt it would be a better career opportunity ultimately to at least look at the position at center. Well, and, and I think that the move is, is a little bit interesting and I, I didn't know the background on it, but I, 
first of all, centers, it's a gorgeous place. And, and I have a sister, I have a sister who's about five years younger than me. It's a complete brainiac. And she was a 4.0 and she visited center and was convinced that's where she was going to go until somebody else talked her into going to wit. But I just, I've been down to center just because of her and, 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 and been to a game or two there in my, in my lifetime. It's, it's, it's a great place. And, and, and in your time there, you know, there were some struggles, but uh, I would like to go ahead and we're a couple minutes early. I'll go ahead and take our break. Now, when we come back, I'd like to talk about your three years at center, but more than anything else, talk about what, what, what you gained from your experience at center that, that uh, prepared you to, uh, it's, it's a challenge going back to your alma mater. And I, and I want to kind of talk about that after we get done with our break. Sure. All right, we're going to take sure. a quick break. We'll be right back in just a second. Welcome back into our second segment with Coach Mike DeWitt, John Cook here. This is the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. And right before the break, we had uh, gotten through your time uh, at Hiram College uh, and the decision to go to center, you, you detailed, I, I thought, really well about what, what could have been kind of behind that move. And it makes a ton of sense. But the, the center program that you inherited was one that had had a little bit of success in about 92 or 93, um, but had struggled for, for three or four years before you got the job. And you were there three years. Talk a little bit about your, your what I'm what I'm interested in, Coach, is how you plan to build your program at Hiram and the progress you were making there. Was it a blueprint that you could apply at center, or was there something different that you had to approach differently because of where you were? Uh, that's a great question. And I think, you know, first of all, we talked about resources. Like, I, I got double the salary at center than I was making at Hiram, so that kind of made it a little easier. Um, but you're right, they, they had suffered, um, they, not suffered is not the right word, but they, they had not had the success lately that they had had earlier in, in Coach Tom Bryant's time. Uh, but it was it was an interesting transition uh, because uh, there was an assistant coach there that wanted the job that had been there 20 some years. And when he didn't get it, he was really angry. Um, and, 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 you know, it made it seem like the only people that wanted me there at the time were the president and the athletic director. Um, I didn't know that at all when I was interviewing. Uh, but then the very first day I was on the job at center, there was a column in the local newspaper basically asking what, what the guy from Ohio was doing as the head coach at center college and not the assistant who had been there 20 years. So right away I knew I wasn't the golden child coming into, uh, that everyone was going to be happy with, which again, to life experience, you know, knowing that everywhere you go, you're not going to be really wanted or needed or there's always going to be someone thinking uh, that you shouldn't be in the position you're in so um tried to get started there ended up the best thing i did was hire a former player uh at center named greg mason he's actually still a coach here has done a remarkable job and done, did a better job there than i would have ever done um but we, you know the, the blueprint for turning the center program around which which great kind of accelerated a little bit was the exact same thing that i did at Hiram and was the exact same thing i did subsequently at Ohio Wesleyan is you get you have to you have to recruit but you have to develop um, a a way of doing things and a set of core values and beliefs that you want your program to have and you know having done it once at Hiram and 
starting to get things going in the right direction. Uh, it had every intention at center of building that same thing uh, in a different environment. We were traveling, uh, you know, across the country to play games and, and had some more resources. They were in the process of planning to build a new facility. Um, and so we had some resources, but the recruiting was different. I had to learn how to recruit nationally a little bit, had to recruit learn how to recruit in Kentucky without having established any contacts there. So we didn't necessarily hit the ground running, but by by the time I left there after three years, I thought it was going in the right direction. And can you talk in the, are you able to share specifics about what you, what you put in place when you talk about core values and, and a system of beliefs, are there some things that you can specify and and enumerate that, that you hold still to this day? Um, I mean, I, I think it's just a, a, like, a, you know, we do with our players here at, at Ohio Wesleyan, which, which I started at, at, at Hiram and at Center was, you know, we, we talk about things not necessarily basketball related. We talk about trusting your teammates. We talk about trusting your coaches. We talk about communication, um, you know, all those in, intangible things, the size of the X and O's and the talent and stuff like that, that I think translates to success just as much as as having talented basketball players so it's a matter of you know being willing to get in the gym in the fall when you know on a sunday when all your friends are watching nfl football like things like that being willing to make a a commitment to it um and you know it it, it takes a while because sometimes the players that are currently in the program that um that that were already there when you got there aren't necessarily going to buy in. Some do, and I, I think it's important to give those players a chance to, to be given the opportunity to buy in. But you, then you have to look for it, I think, on the, on the recruiting trail a little bit and then find um, find players that are going to fit your system and, and, and fit the way you want to do things. And it's, again, it, what I've tried to do and then – you know whether it's been successful or not. I'll let other people judge, but we try to we try to find people who are who are going to play with a lot of effort, who are going to be good teammates, and who are going to you know learn to trust each other and be selfless. And I think you you when you're in your first year or two in a situation, it's not going to be a quick fix. Um, you know, it's not like a situation where some D1 coach goes out and gets a bunch of JUCO guys and wins right away. Like, if you're going to build a program, you got to build a foundation first, and that's some of the foundational pieces that, that I'm talking about. Well, and well, I'll go. You said other people can judge. It has been a success, coach. It's, it's been a it's been a, a fairly large success, but a lot of that was recent. And and I, I'd like to talk a little bit about that too, because you at center you win eight games in your first year and 15 in your second year, and I mean that's I mean, that's just anybody who doesn't know anything can look at that and say that's a significant improvement. Um, but also guys that have been around coaching can know that, you know, depending on schedule and things like that, winning 12 games in the third year, you, you may you may have had reason to feel like you actually did a better job uh, with a team that goes 12 and 13 or 12 and 14 or whatever. Um, and, and I'm not I guess not trying to speak out of school, but if I remember correctly, at the end of 99, when the Wesleyan job was open, that wasn't something that you were automatically definitely going to do. Is that right? Uh, you're exactly right. I don't know who your sources are, but that, that's perfect. Uh, well, I'll tell, I'll, tell you ex- not- I'll tell you exactly who my source was because it's long enough ago now that nobody gives a damn. But I was in, in 99, I was working on my master's, and I was interning with Coach Neal at Bluffton. 
okay. And, yep. Co and Coach Neal said, I don't know. I may take a look at it. Mike says he's not 100% sure if it's something he wants to do. And if he's going to stay out of it, I may take a look. Now, we all know how that turned out. But I just yeah. I just remembered that being something. Because I know that you felt like you were making some real progress at a great place. Yeah, it's funny. Coach Neal and I had a lot of conversations at that time about, about this situation. Um, and he was great uh, to kind of talk through some things with. Um, so, yeah, so I'm end of my third year at center. I'm happy. Um, you know, I think we're going in the right direction um, and all those things. We're, you know, building roots in Danville, Kentucky, those kind of things. My my oldest daughter was born at that time. Um, and so the job opened up, obviously, when the job at your alma mater opened up, you're curious. Um, and quite frankly, I was curious, but not motivated to, to pursue it and I, and I wasn't um, and then um, the very last day that the job was open the athletic director here at Ohio Wesleyan at the time was Jay Martin who was our current men's soccer coach who's won a million games uh, who was the athletic director when I played here and obviously we knew each other he called me and, and uh, he simply said uh, I, we don't have your application yet and I go, yep, I know I'm not going to apply. And he go, he just, at the end of the conversation, he had convinced me to at least apply. And so I, I sent a resume. My application probably wasn't even complete. Um, and I know they got it down to four people to bring to campus, me being one of them. And honestly, I, I again, I got back to campus and, you know, saw what we had here and what could be here and you know I, I think the the fact that I played here probably played a pretty significant role in me in me accepting the job honestly like I'm, I'm still not sure I made the right move uh, <laughs> like I think center obviously the success they've had like I, I thought you know that that was something we could do if I was still there I'm glad Greg's done what he's done there, but I think there was something about moving back home, uh, moving to Central Ohio, and then kind of being in charge of a program that you played in, and kind of being able to hit the ground running that was attractive. Well, if if you weren't a hundred percent sure at the time that you applied, and 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 you know if if you had reservations about leaving a place that you were making progress in, how how did those reservations manifest themselves when you finished five and twenty in the first year? Yeah, that was, <laughs> believe me, you, you think I had a second thought just now, you should have seen the second thoughts my first year. Um, yeah, like honestly, like I, I questioned for quite a bit of time, um, you know, whether I made the right move. Um, but again, through the support of our athletic director, through the support of a lot of other coaches here, and a lot of my friends who are alums who are going to be supportive no matter what, um, you know, we got through that year. I knew it was going to take some some recruiting. I uh, didn't know how difficult, honestly, that was going to be. Uh, we can probably talk about that a little bit here, but um, you know, getting through the first year again, developing, uh, you know, developing the core values and then what the, what I wanted this program to be about and figuring out. You know, I didn't have a time to get a recruiting class that first year. So I was basically playing with all the players that I had inherited. And I was shocked at, at the lack of talent and, and lack of commitment, quite frankly. And I knew we had to kind of 
kind of clean house and then basically start over. So that's what we did. Well, and, and Coach, you've – I said when the podcast started, I, your story fascinates me just because I, I think there's a lot to this for anybody that chooses a coaching profession uh, about staying the course because, I mean, I, I, I am not a numbers-driven guy when it comes to coaching, but I think numbers are on a page and they're easy to read. But when you talk about, you know, getting to the end of, of your time at center and, and having a, a, an overall coaching record as a head coach of 35 and 40 – and then going five and twenty, uh, there, there'd be a lot of reason for people to say it's it's not working. But as I said, when I, when you look at your situation, Hiram, you you make a fifty percent improvement in win total from year one to year two. Center, uh, you almost double your win total from year one to year two. And and Wesleyan, you more than double your win total from year one to year two. So there's obvious impact, regardless of whether or not the absolute bottom line uh, shows a significant amount of success. I think there's a lot to the idea of trusting what you believe in and how you go about things, because in a lot of places right now, coach, if you have a losing record four or five out of your first six years someplace, it, it's tough to stick around. But uh, but I think if, if, if people get past just the bottom line numbers and recognize that there is improvement happening, then what, what you've experienced is possible. And, and, and you've experienced something that's, that, to be honest with you, quite phenomenal when you consider that. I mean, you know, after your first year at Wesleyan, your record was whatever it was, 55 and, and 90 something. Um, and, yeah. and, and now, you know, you're, you're going to, you know, whenever you win the first one next year, assuming you get to play in it, you're going to have 400 career wins. So, I mean, there's there, there's a tremendous amount to be learned from that process. But as you're going through that and, and establishing what you did at Wesleyan, talk about the, maybe the struggles of that next two or three years when you're making improvement, but maybe it's a little slower than you'd like it to be. Yeah, it was, you know, you, you mentioned the 5-20 and 20 record the first year. And I, I think at that point I, I had enough self-confidence to know, especially with my experience from the last, my first two stops, that, that we could, I could get this turned around given, given enough support. Um, and then, you know, again, you know, touching upon um, what you talked about before we go forward, like my, my career record when I got the job at Ohio Westland was 50-75. and 75. Uh, and RAD took a little bit of heat from, not a lot, but just a little bit, just because I, I did have some, you know, I had established a reputation here previously, but like it, it wasn't easy to explain to people from the outside, like why are they hiring someone with a 50 and 75 record? And then the first year we go five and 20 and it's like, you know, we've, we've got some work to do. And then I, you know, I, I wanted to prove our athletic director, right. That he made the right call. Um, so again, my very first, after that first year, my very first recruit and my next class was a young man named Travis Schwab, who is now the, the head coach of Muskingum. Um, and he was one of the few people in my now 21 years here at Ohio Wesleyan that he's one of those kids everybody was recruiting you go to a high school game at Medina High School and there were 15 division three programs watching this kid play and somehow he bought into the fact that he could come help us build a program and when your first recruit uh, second team all-american uh, you know that kind of gave me a lot a, a little bit of um excitement for the future of what maybe we could do. Now, we don't get a lot of kids that a lot of other schools are looking at. We don't get tons of those kids at Ohio Wesleyan as compared to some of our competition. But when Travis came here, 
Um, we were able to, to surround him with some other pretty good players that freshman class. And I think we went from five wins to maybe 12 wins that second year. Um, you know, made a pretty big jump. And for that first two or three years, we, you know, stayed around the 12, 13, 14 win level and made another jump to where we were winning 17, 18 games and then and had some really big success, you know, four or five years ago where we were up in the mid-20s in terms of wins. So it was a gradual process. You know, it's interesting. You talk about getting uh, Travis to, to commit, and, and I don't have a, t- a list of my 10 favorite people in Division three coaching, but if I did, Travis would probably be on it. Um, uh, but when you, you talk about recruiting that, that kind of kid, and I, I did a podcast recently with Dino Gaudio from Louisville, and, and during the podcast he made the statement that it, it's underappreciated how important credibility is uh, for coaches, and credibility comes in a lot of forms. And, and he made the statement that sometimes who the players that will commit to you give you credibility that you can't get for yourself. Uh, and I thought that was an interesting point. And, and Michelle Durand has made the same point about recruiting at Northern when she struggled early and had a couple classes in a row where she got a Morgan Dumball or a Kara Dysert that other schools were after. And then once once that starts, it, it, you become almost more viable in other recruiting circles because, well, hey, you know, a, a kid that good went there, then maybe that's a place I can look at. I just I find that interesting and in how, how sometimes that getting a recruiting breakthrough, if you will, like that can kind of turn your fortunes a little. Yeah, and I think that was the case in, in a couple different respects for us. Number one, when we would have recruits come in subsequent classes and they would see Travis on the court and, and see him dominating, they would be like, wow, that guy's really good. Like, well, I was thinking he had some good players. But I also think it, it kind of, you know, gave us, I don't want to speak for other coaches and other programs, but it, it also might have, they might have been thinking, oh, Ohio Wesleyan's going to be recruiting the right guys and has the ability to get those guys. And so I, I think it gave us credibility on, a, on a several different several different fronts. Now, we, we talked earlier about you know building your coaching staff or, or like you did at Hiram, being told what your coaching staff was going to be the first <laughs> right, year. Right. Um, at Wesleyan, you've had some turnover uh, on your coaching mm-hmm. staff at times. Can you talk a little bit about – your coaching staff and, and, and the ability that you've developed or that you, you need to have to coach your coaches, so to speak, when you have turnover? Sure. I, I think one of the things that I am most proud of here at Ohio Wesleyan is that my assistant coaches go on to be head coaches for the most part. Some go to be assistants at other Division three schools, but start my very first full-time assistant here was John Ellenwood, who's now the head coach at Ashland. Uh, followed him up with John Vanderwall, who you talked to, who's now at Marietta. Um, and then some other guys, Nate Conley is currently at Manchester, Scott Cooper's at IU South Bend. Like, I'm really proud of the fact that guys go from here to become head coaches. Um, and, I, and I think, again, I think there's a couple reasons why. Um, you talked about turnover, first of all. Like, I don't mind the turnover. I think it's my job that after two, three, four years here, guys should be going on to become head coaches. Um, that's what I want them that, that want to have happen. So I, I try to give our assistant coaches as much responsibility as they can handle and let them work. Um, and I don't want to say on their own, but uh, with, with a little guidance from me, but I want to let them try to figure it out. Uh, especially with regard to recruiting, um, quite frankly, because especially at this point, because as I get older and I don't enjoy the recruiting as much, I want my current assistant, Nate Axelrod, to 
you know, to figure out where he needs to go and who we need to recruit and if they fit and, and those kind of things. And I think, I think the guys that have worked for me, at least I hope have benefited from that. Um, and, and gone on to, and, and I think some of their successes speak for themselves as well as to what they've been able to do. But I'm really proud of the fact that a lot of guys go from here and become head coaches. And I think the second thing, and then maybe the second reason why uh, guys go on from here to, to get head coaching jobs is I think other administrators look at our program and they do see that we do things the right way. They do see we try to be first class in everything we do. They do know that we don't have a ton of advantages here at Ohio Wesleyan, maybe compared, quite frankly, to a Worcester or a Wittenberg. And so they know they're getting someone coming from Ohio Wesleyan, someone who's had to work maybe a little harder or a little smarter to have some success. And I think I, I, I really think that's another reason why why our guys go on and become head coaches. Well, you mentioned a lot of guys there that are, are definitely quality people. And, again, I don't have a top ten list, but if I did, Coop, Coop is probably on that list too. Um, I've known Scott a long time and, and was fortunate enough to have him on the podcast as well. But And all of those guys I, I think that you just mentioned are also very – I don't know John Ellenwood well, but I, I've met John. And, of course, I had Vanderwall on, and, and, and I coached against Nate when he was a player at Defiance. I was – and, and and those guys do it the right way too. I mean, they, they they absolutely have an approach that's that's built with a lot of character and commitment to the right things. And 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 there's no, I don't think there's any secret then to why they're they're going to be trusted with programs. And and you know, Nate's only got the, the one year under his belt as a head coach, but all those guys are doing a really good job at the places they are. Um, when you look back on on your time now as a head coach in t- 21 years you've been at Westland, um, do you do you recognize an evolution in yourself as a coach? Because here's what I would say I've heard consistently from the guys that either played for you or coached with you that I know, uh, almost without fault, they all say uh, he's got a unique style. He does it his own way, um, and, and clearly it works. I mean, not a lot of guys in Division Three can have a six straight season stretch of 20 wins. Uh, and and you would have had seven in a row, except I think you won nineteen in the in the seventh year. Uh, that's that's not easy to do at this level. Do you feel like you can recognize your evolution as a coach in terms of how you, not just the the core values, but conducting a practice, doing your preparation, your preferred style of play, those kind of things? Yeah, I think I would like to think that I've been able to adapt with the times and been able to adapt to how kids learn differently these days as opposed to maybe 20 years ago. Um, and, I, and I read things where attention spans are smaller and so on and so forth. So we've tried to shorten our practices and we've tried to make the game a little more quote unquote fun for them in practice. Um, so I'm not sure I could coach the same way Larry Hutter coached me when I was at Whitburg or Team Math. He coached me when I was at Iowa Wesleyan and, and still be, still have a job. Um, so I think, I, I, I think being adaptable, uh, to, to how things are changing, uh, has been, has been big, you know, and, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm a lot different as a lot of people might think I am. Like, I'm competitive. I, I maybe express that in different ways. I know John Vanderwall thinks I'm really mild-mannered and, and stuff like that. But, 
him working for me for four years, I think he knows I'm pretty competitive too. Um, you know, and, <laughs> compared to John, everybody's mild mannered. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's a good point. Uh, but you know, I, I think, like I think, like I said, I think your core values have to stay the same. I think my philosophy has stayed the same, but I think the way you approach it, the way you teach it, uh, and the way kids learn it has has a change. And I think that's how coaches as they get older like i am have to have to adapt um and you know who, who's, who knows what happens from here on forward but you know i i feel like being smart enough to know that i don't know everything is going to help me and and because i can let a nate axelrod kind of do some things because he might be able to relate to our players a little better than i can at this point that's okay um because he'll be a great head coach candidate in three or four years you know coach you just said a couple things that that had me jot down notes that could create questions that could take this podcast for another hour so i'm gonna gonna leave those on the shelf and maybe we'll do another one sometime and, and get into some of these things but here's what i do know um, my son is a high school senior. He plays for, for Dre White, who played for you uh, at Wesleyan. And my son is having a great experience, even though he doesn't always enjoy every single moment of it. I know from the perspective of a dad who's spent time in coaching that this experience is going to be tremendously good for my son. Uh, and, and I attribute a lot of that because Dre attributes a lot of who he is and what he does to his time playing for you. So there, there's value in, in, in that. And I, and I know that you know that, but I think it always helps to hear it. Um, and, and, you know, there are, are, like I said, several questions that I, I could go on to ask. I, I, I asked you to give me an hour and you did that. And I really appreciate it. Um, I, I know that the last couple of years have been maybe a little tougher than you had gotten used to. And I know that the year ahead of ahead of us is such a question mark that we don't know what's what's going to happen. But um, I appreciate the way you presented your story and the way that you, that you operate your program, because I'm I'm getting a son to directly benefit from from a guy who is coaching him that played in your program and draws a lot from that. So uh, there, there's a great deal of value in that from where I sit. And I hope that you understand that. I, I just want to tell you, thanks a lot for, for, for joining the, the podcast. And I'm starting to feel guilty about this, but I do it damn near every episode. I only ask that you give me a T-shirt for your program. Uh, <laughs> since I let you come on the podcast. So at some point, if practice gets back to normal, since I'm not going to be coaching this year, I'll get down uh, to Wesley and hopefully and catch a practice. And Dre and I have said we're going to make it to a game if, if at all possible. So just pull out a, a, an OWU basketball large and set that off to the side and, uh, and and I'll pick it up and collect. But I want to wish you the best of luck with the rest of the summer. Hope that your family stays healthy and safe. And uh, really, really look forward to, to getting a chance to observe your team a little bit as we get into what hopefully is a, is a season here in, in the next several months. Oh, thank you, John. I really enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate the kind words, too. It does mean a lot. Well, I, I, again, just be safe, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay, John. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0. Anchor.fm backslash John Dash Cook Zero. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.